Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. And the rest of you are either disappointed or you've come to terms with this whole situation or I don't really even know. Um, I'm not happy. Whipple, are you? Okay, so I think that's that's one difference out of the way. I think there's there's a perception. I was told the other day that I wasn't sufficiently outraged um, about you know the whole situation surrounding the Yankees. Um, I don't think I think you're outraged. Like I think yeah. everybody is angry. I don't think anyone's happy. It's just we're all differing in the ways we would want to go about and fix it. But none of the following conversation, you know, stems from a point of anyone thinking that either of us are happy about anything yeah no i i so i wrote an article for yankeesfiles.com which is the blog that you and i collaborate on which is associated with this podcast for anyone who doesn't know we also have a twitter account we're at yankees files um <laughs> that was completely unnecessary follow us follow us uh subscribe um anyway I wrote an article on yankeesfiles.com in which I basically said that all the takes I was seeing on the internet about the Yankees and what happened in the playoffs were bad. And I went through in the article and I talked about the season and the personnel and some great moments and the, you know, incredible highs followed by monumental lows um and I then did a a pretty deep dive on why it is that I think this team lost in the playoffs or potentially more accurately, why it is that a lot of people are wrong when they explain why they think this team lost in the playoffs. And, um, you know, people can go on yankeesfiles.com. They can read that. Uh, it's available. I think they should. Um, I... I'm interested, though, you know, in the article, I characterized you as, um, you know, thinking that this team was doomed from the beginning and that, uh, you know, their hot start was a fluke and all of this. And I don't necessarily think you really, really believe that. But um, I certainly do think that you and I disagree about what this team's ceiling was or even what realistic expectations for this team would have been. Um, and as I said to you before we started the podcast, like, you know my opinions. We've been texting about it. I wrote the article. We've both been tweeting. Like, I think that the best way for us to hash out how we feel and how we are processing our disappointment and where we differ about this team uh, is for you to tell me what I'm wrong about. And, you know, my opinion has basically been that the Yankees constructed a team that could have won the World Series. And between injuries, uh, between calling the kids up slightly too late for them to have enough experience to excel in the playoffs, and um, just, you know, a general slump that, if you look at the regular season statistics, was not just a predictable poor performance against good pitching, uh, they got swept in the ALCS. And, like, I'm not happy about it, but I by no means do I believe that this team could not have won that series or should not have won that series or was leagues behind the Astros in any way. So, uh, first off, uh, you know, I echo your uh, 
plugging of your own article. Definitely a worthwhile read. I hope to have uh, some kind of season-ending thoughts uh, posted my own up in the next few weeks. Um, the <laughs> law school is probably preventing me from the instant reaction, but I'll get the semi-instant reaction. And, you know, I think the season-ending thoughts is always great because it, it's just kind of a spur of the moment like what what where did we go what have we done where are we going um and you know you you delved into some issues that i think that were really important to address the, the recap is always good it's just you know to capture this moment in time before we really shift to the 2023 season as um we probably will starting with our next episode so you mentioned in the article that i i heavily disagree with you and I, you know, obviously, we always try to portray ourselves as having tension and and uh, being at opposite ends. And in some cases, see Andrew Benintendi, I think we were at pretty pretty opposite <laughs> we ends. Um, we were. In this case, I think it's different, and I don't think it's different because we disagree. I think it's just a more nuanced issue. And I think fundamentally, what we do share belief on is this Yankees team was good enough to win, and it had. A hundred percent. And one thing I'll even go further. I think any discussion needs to take the pitching staff out of it because this pitching staff, even with all the injuries was a hundred percent championship caliber. And it's not that I want to completely excuse every pitching mistake. I just think that that happens in a playoff series and a, a course of a playoff run. There's no such thing as a perfect pitching staff. And if, and with a normal offensive production, some of the mistakes might have been overlooked. I, I don't want to spend this time criticizing the pitching staff. I think their performance was admirable. The staff was what we wanted. Uh, just no criticisms or no meaningful criticisms there. And I feel like that's kind of been the course of the season. We've really focused a lot of episodes just on the offense. Totally. And and building on that, you know, the I was thinking today – amid the discourse about Aaron Boone returning as Yankee manager, which was, uh, you know, Hal Steinbrenner basically said, I think he's a good manager. He'll be back. Um, I was thinking about the criticism that Boone received for the way he managed uh, game three of the ALDS and particularly game one of the ALCS. Um, but also the Cole game, so I guess game three of the ALCS. Uh, I think that Boone was... I think that Boone felt backed into a corner of having to be very conservative about using his high-leverage guys, you know, Luizaga, Holmes, Peralta, when he didn't have a lead um, because he felt like there was a lack of depth. Like, sure, they were only going to bring eight or nine bullpen guys on any ALCS roster. But instead of the other few guys being, you know, Miguel Castro and Greg Weissert and, you know, Lucas Litke in the, in the LDS and whoever else, those guys would have been Michael King, Chad Green, Scott Efros. And, you know, I... I'm not excusing any bad managerial decisions. Uh, I didn't think game one of the ALCS was all that winnable. Like, if, if the Yankees are only going to score, what, two runs in that game and, you know, no runs in the Cole game, like, I don't think you can be that mad about pitching decisions. But I think that Boone felt he had to manage in a certain way, 
given the fact that although the high leverage guys were really good, there were fewer of them than they expected to have. Like Lou Trevino would have been the last guy in the optimized bullpen, basically. And he he wasn't. Um, so I, ju- I just wanted to get that out there. I think the pitching staff was great. I totally agree with you. Um, and I think that a lot of the gripes that people have with the way that Boone managed the staff came out of the relative lack of depth uh, compared to what they expected to have in the bullpen. Right, exactly. And I, I think game three, we've already talked about in the ALDS, but that's kind of a little bit worse for me just because that, you know, that really would have changed the outcome of the series if he had managed it differently. Mm-hmm. But like the man- the decisions that we were talking about making were only going to affect things so much. Like it would have yeah. helped if there was more runs scored. Um but like definitely right and that's, <laughs> now you're speaking my right, language that's, that's always the case but like you know if you use x guy a little bit earlier like then y guy still might blow it like it's not yeah. worth our time to get into that we've already it's discussed not. it but the point is the offense was is and should be the main focus of mm-hmm. our discussion and whatever personnel moves the Yankees decide to make this winter now your view is that the offensive production was you know a slump from a team that was built to win for the playoffs and certain factors as you said affected that and I agree certain factors did affect I think having a DJ LeMahieu and an Andrew Benintendi would have been extremely helpful to have a righty and a lefty contact bat to both break up the lineup and just have yeah a different type of hitter in the order having a chance to play the you need you need to stop there. Okay, wait before you before you stop me. Let me no. just get let me go to my no, other point. No, no, this there you you made a point about contact and we have to talk about it. Okay, well one I will say that the <laughs> what well, okay fine make your point about contact. You made a point about contact and we have to talk about it. Okay, I get it. I get it. The Yankees were just as good as the Astros at making contact, but in this series, the, in this series there were certain situations that a contact hitter nope. Whipple. Whipple. Do you want to make your point or do you want me to keep talking? I want to make my point. I told you that. Make your point. Whipple. The contact rate is one of the most, like, concentrated in the middle of the bell curve stats in all of Major League Baseball. The Yankees were 21st in contact rate at 76%, basically. 75.8. If... So that means... A thousand swings, seven hundred fifty-eight times making contact. A thousand swings is a really long time, by the way. Um, like you know, let's let me put it to you this way: the Yankees also swung very little. They were twenty-ninth in swing rate. They were they were swinging at forty-five point six percent of pitches. So if you assume they see a hundred pitches in the first seven innings of a game, they're swinging at less than half of them, and they're making contact on more than three quarters of those swings. But the team that made the most contact in baseball was Cleveland, who the Yankees beat because just making contact is not a valuable ability when it comes to scoring runs. The team that made the second most fully two percentage points behind was Houston. The gap between Cleveland and Houston in contact rate, first and second, is the same as the gap between Houston and Milwaukee, second and 16th, and the gap between Milwaukee and the Yankees is 0.7 percentage points. It's nothing. There is 
virtually no difference in contact rate between any two Major League Baseball teams. We're talking about literally like nothing. I just straight up nothing that's separating a 74% contact rate, which is what Atlanta and Texas were at last in the league, and an 80% contact rate. Like even that, we're talking about no difference. But between the Yankees and the Astros, who are the teams that met, we're talking about under 3%. That's that it, it's it's three out of a hundred swings. You'd like you couldn't even see that over the course of an at bat or an inning or even a game. Like that's I, I want to drive that home. There's all this belief about contact rate somehow doomed the Yankees when they were basically league average at it, league average in batting average, league average in strikeout rate. Um and and then they struck out a bunch and didn't score any runs. Also for numerous other reasons than the fact that they struck out a bunch, and we'll get into that later. Um Differences in contact rate at the major league level are not big enough that you actually see them play out. You, it, it just doesn't happen. They're not big enough. Okay, but in a short series, what my point was, upgrading— In a short series, you would see them even less. Upgrading—I'm saying player by player, upgrading guys who were offensive zeros with guys who were potentially going to provide more of an impact. Contact rate, non-contact rate, just getting hits— Yes, I would have liked if the offense had performed better. Right. I, I agree. All I'm saying is DJ LeMahieu and Andrew Benintendi would have been better options than Josh Donaldson and whoever they played in the outfield for this series. Yes. Yes. That's true. So going back to my point, and I, I, I do – the the other point I want to make is that the Yankees' regular season offense was really good. And to think that this team had some kind of land was some kind of landmine waiting to go off into the playoffs was just wrong. I mean, I'm not, which is what a lot of people right. are saying. And those people are not right. Right. Like if you've watched this team, you've seen them. This season was much different than last season when they were a below average offensive team. This team was an above average offensive team. However, I think there were noticeable holes in this lineup that consistently were not addressed game after game, week after week, until we got to the postseason and we were comfortable starting Josh Donaldson, starting Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, having a left field black hole because we had to start Oswaldo Cabrera out of position, then moving him back to shortstop when that position was unsettled, setting off the dominoes. I think this team had about 33% of its lineup, if not more, uh, you, I can forgive catcher being a black hole, even though it really shouldn't have been. Um, but, you know, Jose Trevino hit horrifically in the playoffs, like even worse than his, you know, like an, a, a poor, like even worse than a poor performance. I mean, I, th- I believe in the entirety of the playoffs, he had one hit. So he was one for 22. So even though he's providing an impact behind the plate, those are giveaway at bats, basically. And so you're not. That wasn't an upgrade the Yankees were going to make, but you had other upgrades out there that injuries might have helped, but there was also incompetence. There was also complacency. We've I said it all year. The fact that they had about you know 33% of their lineup at any time being a giveaway at bat, that works fine when Aaron Judge is a generational MVP, but you also, when you had Rizzo hitting well, you had Stanton hitting well, you had Torres hitting well, all at the same time when you had DJ hitting well, did Carpenter coming up. You basically had the best case scenario for this lineup for most of the first halves of the season. And yes, they did try to make upgrades. I think Andrew Benintendi was a worthwhile upgrade. Having Bader turned out to be something none of us expected to be as good as it was. But 
they in retrospect and and maybe in the moment you know you were definitely pushing for more offensive upgrades than I was um Mm -hmm. and neither of us could have seen the injuries coming but I just think it was malpractice to go into the playoffs after you said last year that shortstop was an area of need and have three starting shortstops in the ALDS and ALCS I think it was malpractice to have Josh Donaldson starting cleanup to four five and six in most of those playoff games and I get there's no fix that you could make in the playoffs but it was just so easy to see this coming I think the offensive numbers throughout the season were on the aggregate very good but I think there were specific matchups specifically when you have power righties coming out of the Houston bullpen and in the Houston pitching staff that can cause problems for the the Yankees lineup and they the Yankees knew this. made a ton of noise against the Houston bullpen in the regular season okay they did but but it's still a bad matchup. I mean, looking at regular season outcomes and assuming that they're going to be predictive of the playoffs is what we were saying the Astros fans shouldn't do. I think the Yankees have had a somewhat unbalanced lineup and again, better than it used to be for the last few years. And it's still wait a caused minute, issues wait a minute, for them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Unbalanced in what way? In that you basically had, aside from Anthony Rizzo, no lefty power threats or lefty any threats really. Okay, so and don't tell I me have... Matt Carpenter because Matt Carpenter coming back of a two month injury is not a guy that, in my opinion, should have been starting playoff games. And that you'll probably disagree with me there, but I think it's kind of ridiculous for him to have got either put him in from the jump against Cleveland or don't put him in, but don't bring him in against Houston and expect him to suddenly be pitching or hitting well because they pitched him basically, you know, they were giving him nasty pitches. He wasn't able to hit them. Not a huge surprise. So okay, I have a number of thoughts. Here. Okay, but <laughs> I guess the summary thought is that that before you respond is that this team was really good and they yes. could have beaten the Astros, and they probably should have yep. beaten the Astros. But I think mm-hmm. the flaws that held them back were ones that Houston, like the things that they didn't do. I think Houston was able to do. Houston. Okay, never mind. You take you take. I'm going to say something you're going to get mad about. Yeah. No. I I know. Um. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, on roster construction uh, from position players, the Yankees, who until like three days before the trade deadline had the best record in baseball, went out at the trade deadline and got Andrew Benintendi, who I didn't think would be an upgrade over Aaron Hicks, but was. He then got hurt. So left field... I think we both felt pretty comfortable coming into the season could be addressed by the talent that was on the roster. That turned out not to be true. The Yankees saw that that wasn't true. They addressed it with Andrew Benintendi. He got hurt. They then even addressed it with Oswaldo Cabrera, who was pretty freaking good in the regular season. He had a 111 WRC+. Um, And then he was just bad in the playoffs because he was a young player who hadn't gotten enough exposure. I think the Yankees tried to address left field twice, did it credibly twice, and then just had it not work out in uh, in the playoffs. Like, I don't... I As I said, I would have preferred Jock Peterson, but if they had gotten Jock Peterson, it means they wouldn't have gotten Andrew Benintendi. Like, I don't know that there's all that much more you could have asked them to do in left field than what they did. And they even bit the bullet and played Stanton in left field, which was a desperation move, but one that... To put the optimal lineup out, they had to do, and I think they should be commended for doing it. Matt Carpenter was a powerful lefty bat who hit 305 with a 217 OPS plus for uh, 128 at bats over 
whatever it was, 47 games. He got hurt a week after the trade deadline. Like, why would they have gone out and gotten lefty power when Anthony Rizzo had just had an all-star first half of the season and Matt Carpenter was doing what Matt Carpenter was doing? Um, like, it just, that doesn't add up to me. You, maybe you can argue they shouldn't have traded Joey Gallo, but, like, he didn't have a place on the team anymore. I think we all acknowledge that. Harrison Bader, good move. Short up the outfield defense, turned out to be an offensive weapon in the playoffs. That's great. I don't think we'll see that kind of offense from him in the future, but, like, turned out to be a really good move, performed when it mattered. With respect to the infield, there was a situation, an entirely plausible situation, where if everyone was healthy, um, Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa quickly became like fringe 40-man guys. And I think we're going to see that play out over the course of this offseason, and I think you and I would both like to see those guys gone. But Oswaldo Cabrera played himself into an everyday role. And he deserved it. And I think he'll compete for one in spring training next year. The positional versatility, I think, is actually working against him a little bit because there are a million different permutations that you can run out where somehow IKF, Donaldson, and Cabrera all survive. But he should be coming for one of, if not both, of their spots. Um, and if DJ LeMahieu had been healthy, the optimal lineup had him as the, the starting third baseman. So... You know, Josh Donaldson and IKF are on the bench in the optimal playoff healthy lineup. And I have trouble being mad at the Yankees for that. What I don't have trouble being mad at the Yankees for and what the first 50% of the article that I wrote is dedicated to is going into the season with Donaldson and IKF as your guys. And they absolutely should be criticized for sticking with them, uh, particularly Donaldson, who they defended throughout the playoffs, which is not a good sign for how they're going to handle him this offseason. Um, but the Yankees had the resources within the organization to supplant both of those guys if everyone had been healthy. And I just, I, I have trouble getting mad about that. I am very angry about the trade. Gio Urshela was meaningfully more valuable than Josh Donaldson. He was 50% more valuable by Fangraph's war. He was 22% better offensively by WRC+. He was like $16 million less expensive when you think about what that could have done for the Yankees at the trade deadline. Um, IKF, obviously, complete dumpster fire um and should only be evaluated as such uh the trade was awful but the team first of all the team with those guys was still good enough to win they were bad in the playoffs but like everyone was bad in the playoffs the team with those guys was good enough to win and the team was deep enough to play without them if they had health like there is some level of random chance to the fact that Andrew Benintendi and Matt Carpenter and Aaron Hicks were the guys who got hurt and Josh Donaldson, IKF, and like, you know, throw in whatever third guy, maybe still Aaron Hicks, weren't. Like, that's, there's some level of random chance to that. And the fact that the Yankees would have had really, really hard playoff roster decisions with Cabrera playing as well as he did. Peraza playing the kind of defense that he did and showing, you know, a little bit of talent with the bat. Um, and LeMahieu being healthy, like, that would have really put the pressure on them to evaluate if they can credibly run Donaldson and IKF out there. 
And sure, like should Corey Seager or Carlos Correa just have been on the team? Yes, I, I said that extensively in the article that I wrote. But I I just disagree with the notion that like that there was complacency in the way they operated or that they didn't try to get better. Like this team was fully tooled up and still tried to go out and make moves to help them win the World Series. And um, I don't think it's anyone's fault that like just injuries and bad timing led to that not happening. Right. Like I and I I I just think like it sucks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you are a really good team, maybe even the best team if you go by you know in the American League run differential, run scored, uh you know simple rating system by baseball reference, like all of that Pythagorean win loss. All of that. Yankees are the best team in the AL. They're they're were a million reasons to feel confident in them. They still went out at the trade deadline and and tried to get better, and it didn't pay off. And like that happens. I think the 2010 Yankees were probably the best team in the AL too. They didn't win the ALCS. It sucks. Right, and and I want to give them credit because I've said that the trade deadline was a you know successful strategy, just a flawed uh, outcome or or a an outcome you know that that we weren't looking for it was a good strategy bad right outcome. exactly so no i think there is some 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 validity to the point you're saying and you know there's some validity to the criticisms you're making you know the donaldson ikf trade is this black cloud looming over the season i mean how many times how many podcasts did we have where we didn't talk about ikf or donaldson like in a negative light zero probably. yeah if it wasn't zero it was it was definitely low single digits so I got on IKF, I think, just about every time. There was, like, a hot moment, like, in the second week. It was his, like, original hot streak. And I think I read something about, like, him making a swing change. And I think I bought in for, like, a tiny bit. And then I was – by, like, May 1st, I think I was off. But I I do remember there was one pod where I was like, hey, maybe this guy's good. I mean, hitting an RBI double off Emmanuel Class A is impressive for any hitter. But, you know, you got to do a little more than that in the regular season. Um Anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. Um, it was this black cloud hanging over the season, and I just think when you tell the story of this team, that's always going to be that black cloud for better or worse, and there's nothing that you can really do about that. I, I will push back and say that relying on Matt Carpenter, as good as he was, like you, I think that was a signing that they made that they did not expect to work out like that. And when Joey Gallo was going down the tubes, like you're then left without significant lefty power again. Thank God for Carpenter. I think he really saved them and helped them to a lot of wins in that middle stretch of the season. But I think this team, yeah, maybe it comes down to them not having a Corey Seager, just not planning out, you know, not signing guy X, trading for guy Y like years ago or months ago. And I criticize them for that too, because this lineup, like I know that they made noise against the Houston bullpen, but they they are still you know they're a home run lineup and they're which is a good thing but if they're not hitting home runs they're susceptible to bullpens like the Astros that can come in and just eat them up with the right power righties which of what team is that not true well it's <laughs> what do you mean what team is that not true against the Astros of, of what team is that not true like the even the Astro like it sounds like you are implying that um the Astros like if if the Astros offense had to face the Astros bullpen they would be uh 
they would be likely to be more successful than the Yankees offense would be against the Astros bullpen because of the differences in their offensive profile. Like, I hate to break it to you. The Astros had a, like a, what was it? 2.8 bullpen ERA this year. Like it was the best in baseball. It was 0.17 runs better than the Yankees. They had like the second most war from relievers, even though they had like far fewer innings from relievers than a got than a lot of teams. They were in fact the only team whose relievers threw fewer than 500 innings. Um, so like on a value basis, the Astros had basically the best bullpen in baseball. Um, do you think that because of their 2% advantage in contact rate, the Astros lineup would fare better against elite bullpen arms than the Yankees no, lineup? I, I don't even think... Like, no, of course you don't. I don't even don't. think the Astros lineup, one, is as impressive as people are making it out to be, or two, did particularly that well. Like, you're right in that the series was close on the margins, but, it, you know, the games were all close, save for game three. But my, my mm-hmm. issue is that... The Yankees, when the Yankees stars struggled, as happens, you know, and again, thank God for Harrison Bader and Anthony Rizzo playing well because the lineup production would have been even worse. There were specific moments where those the, the holes in the lineup that over the course of a season can be overlooked because the offensive output on the whole is good and you're winning a majority of your games were specifically exposed because they were batting in spots in the order that were, you know, they probably shouldn't have been batting in and they came up in situations and were not able to get the jobs done that needed to get done to take advantage of these games that were so close. So I think having those holes in the lineup and I didn't really talk about defense. I think defense is pretty subjective. Like it's let's table defense okay. for now. We can, we can get okay. to it later because you're making a point that is worth addressing. Okay. So the flaws in the lineup that can get covered in the long season and I, you know, what I think we all saw came out and hurt the Yankees at inopportune times. And that wasn't the only reason that they lost. But my view is that these issues, maybe some addressable, maybe some not. But regardless, those guys were in the lineup. And, you know, maybe we just pin it on two guys, Donaldson and IKF. Like, I hate to be that blunt, but maybe those two guys are the specific cause of why this team was not as good as it could have been. And, like, if that's where we come out on this, if the Yankees are a championship club, save for Donaldson and IKF, and that, like, was one of the big differences in the series. Like, I don't really think guys can hurt that much in baseball, but I feel like these guys hurt a lot, both in their performance and what their performance or lack thereof caused to happen to the rest of the lineup and both roster shuffling and just just generally, man, I don't know. That's my takeaway. (laughs) So... One thing that I think you've kind of been alluding to is like the Yankees stars didn't beat the Astros and therefore the rest of the Yankees like who we knew weren't going to also didn't. Um, The Astros stars didn't beat the Yankees like Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve and Kyle Tucker all posted OPSs of they posted OPSs of 675, 528 and 466 in the series uh, Trey Mancini was hitless. He just had a, a walk. Um, Aledmus Diaz, who's I learned before the series, is a much better hitter than I give him credit for. He had an 808, uh, or sorry, he he is an above average hitter over the course of his career. He did not have an 808 OPS this year. Um, was uh, hitless in the series. Um, Jeremy Pena, 400. 50, 461 points better than his season OPS in the ALCS. 
Chaz McCormick, 288 points better than his season OPS in the ALCS. Alex Bregman, 155 points better than his season OPS in the ALCS. Martin Maldonado, 329 points better than his season OPS in the ALCS. I mean, it was four games. Yuli, Come Yuli, on. Yuli Gurriel, 220 points better than his season OPS in the ALCS. Christian Vasquez, 119 points better than his season OPS in the ALCS. So I understand it was four games. I'm not saying the Yankees pitched poorly. What I'm saying is anything can happen over the course of four games. And... Like, the Astros were not seeing Chaz McCormick and Martin Maldonado come up in key spots and going, oh, hell yeah, Chaz McCormick and Martin Maldonado are up. And those guys came through. Ditto Christian Vasquez. Honestly, ditto Jeremy Pena. Like, he hit 353, 353, 824. He was a 253 hitter with a 715 OPS over the course of the year. Like, the performances that they got that actually beat the Yankees were not typical of the guys who produce those performances so like I don't know weird stuff happens in the playoffs and the bottom of the Astros lineup plus Jeremy Pena destroying the Yankees is just as weird as the Yankees stars not producing like if anything is a good argument that like weird stuff can happen and the Astros were hot at the right time and the Yankees were cold at the wrong time it's this yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair if you want to just say, okay, let's just run it back and try again next year. But I mean, as Yankees fit, you don't, you don't think I think that. No, I think you, I think you think that you know this team needs to make upgrades, but there's nothing. Which again, I, I'm not saying none of this is me saying blow it all up. Like I don't think either of us are advocating for a rebuild, but I do think that there were. There's more. There, there are more reasons. Like I'm gonna focus on what the Yankees did, and I'm focusing on the fact that there were guys who hit poorly. Like I get the Astros guys overperformed. Like I don't really care about the Astros. Like <laughs> I mean, I care about that. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know, really I, concern myself with these. Astros. Like I hate to sound like that. <laughs> I mean, sure, I was watching the 2022 ALCS. Oh my God, so much of this and the 2019 ALCS, but I don't really concern myself with these. Astros. So much of this pod is just for us, and it's funny how many people won't understand that um yeah like i i mean we i think if you keep running this yankees astros rematch like it's gonna eventually go the way of the yankees at one point the astros are not that good but in the short term like looking at why this team failed when it came into the playoffs you know having a reasonable chance against the astros why they got swept some of its luck some of its underperformance some of its the the flaws that i'm talking about like martin maldonado and chas mccormick's overperformance is not excuse in my opinion josh donaldson and ikf's underperformance and i think that's the no, point no it I doesn't make. but it speaks to it, it it doesn't at all excuse it but it speaks to the point that um, anything can happen in a playoff series. And I'm not trying to espouse the like Yankee line of like the playoffs are a crapshoot and reinforce the bad lessons that they're learning from 88 win NL East teams going to and or winning the World Go Series. Phillies. Go Phillies. Um, but what I am saying is the Yankees did the things that we would want them to do to win the ALCS in a number of areas. Uh, they tried not to start Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at shortstop. They played Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield. They got Matt Carpenter into the lineup. They pitched really well. They shut down Altuve, Alvarez, and Tucker, who are the guys we'd be worried about. And they lost because 
Aaron Judge and, you know, John Carlos Stanton and Matt Carpenter uh, were cold at the same time, and DJ LeMahieu and Andrew Benintendi were hurt. Like, I don't know. Sometimes that happens. This team was good enough to win the World Series, you know, uh, a little better uh, offensive performance in Game 1, the laws of physics applying in Game 2, and, uh, you know, IKF catching a flip from Glaber in Game Four would have given them a three-one lead in the series. Like that—that's—that's that's all there is to it. I'm, yeah. Um, Fair and, enough. And like, and, and so when people act like you know the Yankees were doomed or the Astros were so much better constructed or this you know collapse was so predictable or whatever, it's just like no. Like the Yankees were built to succeed in the playoffs. In the regular season, they got guys on base and they hit a bunch of home runs when those guys were on base. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what the Astros did. Like, the Astros hit a bunch of home runs, all solo home runs in game one. Volume of home runs is good. They hit a multi home uh multi run home run in game two, a multi run home run in game three, and a multi run home run in game four. The Yankees didn't hit any multi run home runs. Like the the Astros People are like, oh, analytics this, strikeout rate that. Like, the Astros just did the 2022 regular season Yankees to the 2022 postseason Yankees. They won by doing the thing that the Yankees were consistently good at this year. I'm sorry. But, like, the Astros winning the way they did is evidence for the validity and quality and goodness of the way the 2022 Yankees were constructed. Right. I And I 100% agree with you there because the Astros, I think the biggest misconception that I, I think so many people are making, you and I definitely agreed that is not valid, is that Astros, yeah, the Astros lineup did not have some kind of generational performance. Like, they basically nope. did, if the if the roles were flipped, I think if, you know, if the Yankees had done to the Astros or the Astros did to them, like, we wouldn't be surprised. We would be saying, like, the... We wouldn't be like the Yankees ran roughshod over the Astros. We would be saying what you're nope. saying, that they they executed their strategy, which they used to win in the ALDS, and they did it to a T. And I think they had a couple breaks go their way. They made some of their own luck, and that's right. that. You have to in the also, playoffs. Like, like, no playoff team wins without having those lucky moments, um, and people yeah. don't like to hear that, but that's absolutely true. Um, I think the Yankees were at, you know, I differ a little bit in thinking that they shot themselves in the foot on some occasions and it wasn't, you know, your, your, your view of the X, Y, and Z happening. And it's a three, one lead is the ultimate optimistic outcome, which I don't necessarily agree. It would have been that easy, but you know, the point is it was okay, close. But like, your point least, is that was at close. At the very least, at the very least, if the laws of physics apply in Houston, they go back to New York. Time right, one but one. they also could have you know scored more runs in other situations and done the same thing. Yeah, right. they should have. I that would have been yeah, better. No, I think it's every series comes down to small little things like that, and that especially that game. I mean, it was basically two swings that decided the outcome: one by yep. Bregman, one by Judge. So, it's yeah, they're they're. They are not far off, and this team, you know, if this team hadn't come short in six straight years beforehand, I think people, obviously people wouldn't care as much, but I think this season would be evaluated as largely a success. I mean, I think we said the Yankees got to basically what we knew their their absolute floor was, and they couldn't go any farther, and that was, some was luck, some was, in my opinion, flaws of the lineup, um, some was just, you know, that's like, the Astros played well. They're a good team, and you're not going to get all of the breaks against a good team. 
Um, it was going to be a tough series, and it didn't go the Yankees' way. And I think the margins were closer than a sweep. Like, in looking at this, you know, your mind goes to – or my mind goes to because I love the 2012 Yankees, the 2012 ALCS. It, yeah. And this felt different in that may, maybe not game three. I think game three was pretty bad. Um, but games one, two, and four were all pretty close. I mean, you really only could say game one of the ALCS in 2012 was close. And after that game, it – seem pretty inevitable like this this is not an old team taking its last gasps or whatever the hell I wrote in that article last year Um, (laughs) this is a team at you know it's a veteran team now that is transitioning from one core to potentially another core and still a very good team with a pitching staff that is pretty elite and was basically the reason really good they were in all these games so there we will talk extensively about what the 2023 Yankees can do with their lineup to improve I don't think anything you can't guarantee any playoff success, but I think what you can do is remove all of the little things that can get in the way of success. And there were a few little things that either by addition or, you know, by their presence or by their omission, I think really tripped up the Yankees this series, but in no way was this a blowout series. It was a four nothing sweep, but three of the games were very close. Yeah, uh, so speaking of the 2012 team, they were the only Yankees team to have a lower OPS in the ALCS than uh, than this team, so that was disappointing. Um, and yes, like, you know, don't go into next season with Josh Donaldson and IKF on your team, but also in the future, like, don't employ, like, these terrible players. <laughs> just, That's a just great strategy. Like, Don't employ terrible I know, players. But I like, love it. I mean, you know, third base and shortstop are both positions that are getting like a not insignificant positional adjustment for defense. Those are two players who we were assured were phenomenal defenders. Um and uh you know they topped out at I think 1.6 fan graphs war between them I think it was 1.6 for Donaldson 1.3 for IKF like you have to be pretty abysmal to do that like it's not hard to upgrade over that and it's especially not hard to upgrade over that if you think about allocating 30 million dollars which is what they paid those guys this year so like it's I, I I know it just sounds like a you know silly thing don't employ these terrible players, but like, it's actually very easy to not have those guys on your team. And I would recommend not having them on the team. Can you tell how, can you tell Brian Cashman how easy it is? Just, just go tell him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I am worried that Brian Cashman, well, one thing you can do uh, is put him on the Ellsbury plan. Like if no one will take, I think someone will take IKF. Like he's cheap. I mean, Um, it's a year. Like if you, if they, I just, I think they'd be willing to cut Donaldson if they viewed he wasn't going yeah. to help this put, team. That's the issue is Donaldson, I don't know if they view him that way. Put Donaldson on the Ellsbury plan. Uh, if you have to put Hicks on the Ellsbury plan, although, you know, Ryan was tweeting some stuff about like, you know, $30 million over three years is nothing in today's MLB. And if you think he's going to be worth like two or two and a half war, someone will take him on. But like, yeah, it, it you know, ditto if Chapman were coming back, which he's not blessedly, but like, there are guys that, you know, this team just needs to spend. Like, put guys on the Ellsbury plan if you have to, and then do the 08-09 offseason. Like, one thing that I do, I think I was dismissive of this, more dismissive of this than I meant to be uh, on prior podcasts. Like, 
even though it's been close, and even though the Astros were cheating, and even though this Yankees team was constructed well enough to beat the Astros and I think was the best team in the American League this year, um, the Yankees need to leave no doubt. And they need to basically take the position that the 2017 and on Astros are like the 2005 and on or, you know, 2002 and on or whenever you want to make it, Angels. And they're the team that they can't get past. And they need to do everything in their power to get past that team. And I think, frankly, they've made a number of moves in their recent history that indicate a desire to do that, including signing Garrett Cole. Like, he was the the CC Sabathia move. He was the attempted trade for Cliff Lee. He was, you know, there's this guy we can't beat. Better get him on the team. Perfect. Like, really well done. Giancarlo Stanton, like, let's just go out and get the best hitter. Awesome. Uh, the Yankees need to treat the Astros like they're the angels of the 2000s, and they need to do everything in their power to go out and and make the moves necessary to beat them. Now, this upcoming free agent class, which we'll get into on a later podcast, is not you know, the most incredible we've ever seen. I don't think any of us are very confident that they'll really make a play for Trey Turner or Carlos Correa or Xander Bogarts. Um, But there are moves that they can make and there are ways that they can improve this team. And um, even if they were good enough to win the World Series this year, they can take out some of the risk of losing by getting better. And uh, I think we'd both be very supportive of them doing that. And I don't care if the money is taxed, untaxed, you know, Saudi Arabian, uh, it doesn't matter to me. Go out, get the best players, win the World Series. Like, you, even though this team was good enough to win the World Series, you are right that they shouldn't have had Josh Donaldson and IKF started games for them in the playoffs. You are right that it was too soon, probably, to need to call up Oswaldo Cabrera and Oswald Peraza and have them help the team get across the finish line. Like, that's all true, um, catcher like you, I think I can forgive, although it's hard to argue they wouldn't have enjoyed having Gary Sanchez. Um, go out, get the best players, win the 2023 World Series. That's Somebody, the mandate. Somebody's going to listen to this and like pinpoint at the 47th minute or whatever. <laughs> and Gary, Gary Sanchez will live on forever, um, wherever he plays in our hearts. He will. But he will. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that this team is enjoys the benefit that not a lot of other teams have right now or will have going into the offseason of starting from an incredibly high bar. I mean, the the big problem is that they're going to lose their best player to free agency. And when they, if they, when they, you know, we'll again talk about it next time, resign him because they absolutely have to. Like, they will be, you know, if you took that team, it would basically probably be as good as this year's current team. Um, mm-hmm. you know, plus or minus a few guys, especially in the pitching side. I mean, remarkably, like I don't even I don't even know how many pitchers I would want them to or feel like they need to sign. But anyway, like this team. Yeah, there's is a Jamison from... Tyone question, I guess. Right. Um the bullpen? obviously like Kershaw, DeGrom, Verlander are all becoming free agents. I don't think the Yankees will be legitimately <laughs> in play on any of those guys, obviously. Um But the one thing I said is like we're not gonna talk about free agents and we just can't help ourselves. I I love it. We're no, we're not the doing the real deep. Dive. I know, I know. But um and spoiler alert, I this might become or I might become a Brandon Nimmo stan account very soon. The preview for next time. Are you gonna be a Brandon um, Nimmo stan account for all the wrong reasons though? 
Let's talk about it next time. Oh, gosh. Next time. Okay. Um, But anyway, like this team is starting from such a high bar. This is a luxury that they really haven't had that often. Like even post-2019, like I think that team had a lot of obvious spots for regression that weren't addressed. Like this team with the guys that they have, they don't really have spots for regression, assuming that they, again, get rid of the guys who shouldn't be playing and plug in either Mm -hmm. from within or without um guys who should be playing like there's a lot to like about the way this team looks even without upgrades and take advantage of that like you know you're close and absolutely everyone says hal just wants to get into the playoffs like i think hal saw this year like what the you know like he obviously he he doesn't really care as much as he probably should but he saw what a team firing on all cylinders with the MVP on a record home run chase. Like he saw what that extra boost does for the team. I think he knows that, but like they're making more, they made more money this year than they had previously before. Like there's a reason for that. This team was really freaking good pretty much all year long. And they had a lot of reasons to go to the ballpark. So like, I think that, you know, they obviously want to keep to the luxury tax and what have you but one that's not that would be a 2024 issue yep and two they have a lot of room to spend for money coming off the books even with re-signing judge they know yep. what like the, the, this team the fan base has made it clear what they want and i feel like ownership appreciates that more than we think i don't think that means trey turner's coming but i think yeah like we've seen before they're going to be there's going to be spending there will be moves to make this team better um one other thing, like, I think you can point to last year and say, well, why didn't it happen last year? I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the lockout doubt and say that this normal offseason will be a little more indicative of how the Yankees will operate, how they'll make a plan to operate. Not that they were caught flat-footed, but I just think, like, a lot was going on last year in terms of, like, how how much they knew the payroll could go up by. Like, everything was so uncertain. So, I'm going to be a generous fan and say that this will be a little more normal. And I think given, you know, hopefully with judge being re-signed, there will be a bit more of a strategy outside of just that signing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So just a few things to wrap up. Um, Brandon Nimmo's career slugging percentage is 23 points higher than DJ LeMahieu's. Remember that when you are talking oh about God. him, um, because people are going to emphasize the wrong skills. Um, on top of that, uh, yes, I think that uh, the Yankees and all baseball teams are going to operate differently this offseason than they did last offseason, which was super weird, you know, coming off COVID year and lockout. Um, I think they need to disregard the luxury tax. I don't know if they will. Um, I don't know, man. It's going to be weird. So uh, as we put a bow on... Season 2, episode 38 of Yankees Files, which is the last uh, episode of season 2 of Yankees Files. Um, You know, typically we do the confidence rating 1 to 10, uh, but I want to spin that a little bit. Um, What is your confidence level 1 to 10 that the Yankees will have an offseason that you deem good? Well, I think, you know, with Aaron Judge, (laughs) if if they were to somehow not resign Aaron Judge, but whatever else they did i think we'd both our confidence would both be in the tank so let's let's Mm -hmm. assume that aaron judge has been re-signed and this is addressing everything outs nope you gotta build that in. well (laughs) i'm going to assume for purposes of my rating he will be re-signed and my confidence in that is pretty high i think 
the business and baseball interests are pretty aligned. And I think if you really want to see this fan base revolt, it would only happen if like that people say I won't go to the park. Like people actually wouldn't go to the park. I mean, I've um, said that I'll never watch a game again. Right. So, and, and I you're, mean it. You are not a fair weather yeah. fan by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. So, um, my confidence is higher than I think a lot of people's. I, I don't know how confident I am that they'd have like a 2008, 2009 off season, but I think they can get closer to that than people think. Um, I'm going to say about an eight. And I think in the grand scheme of things, like that's pretty good at this limit with the limited knowledge that we have just coming off of the season, because I think this team is close and I think they are, you know, they want to entice Aaron judge. And that's the thing I didn't really talk about, but I want to emphasize, like we didn't talk about managerial moves. Boone's going to be back. We didn't talk about GM cash is going to be back. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that this organization values stability and they want to entice the best player in baseball to stay. And you don't want to run everybody through, um, uh, you know, haphazard managerial search and have this turmoil when you want to project stability. You want to entice him. You want to show that you're going to make moves to put them over the top. Like Aaron Judge wants to feel like coming back, he can actually finish this story off and get this championship. So I think... That is a big factor that I'm taking into account that they're going to get judged and in turn, their agenda is going to be very much win now. Not that I think it wouldn't be, but I think that um, that gives me more confidence than I otherwise would have. And I think, you know, if they sign, what would that look like? Signing judge and noticeably up getting rid of the flaws, getting rid of the of the um, the holes in the lineup and noticeably upgrading that infield and maybe an out, probably one infielder, one outfielder. They have to do something. I mean, we said it last year, and they cannot go into 2023 with without a guy who are they they are confident about being their shortstop every day. And maybe that's Anthony Volpe. That if it's not internally, it can't be IKF. It has to be someone from outside the organization. So I've talked longer than I wanted to, but I am at an eight because I think Judge and the win now mentality is going to loom pretty large. Not as good as I think it potentially could be, but I think better than a lot of people think it could be. Yeah, I'm at an eight as well. Um, I expect them to bring back Judge. Uh, I think the Giants will not be outbid rumor is one of the most heinous things I've ever seen. They've never given out a contract bigger than $167 million. Just interjecting for a second, one of my best friends who's a Giants fan, I talked to him about that, and he laughed in my face. He said, don't worry about it. Like, Barry Zito is the only yeah. <laughs> the, the high water mark for them, and they just want to be in the conversation. Yeah, they're, they're, um, so that's your intel. Their biggest free agent deal ever. The 167 was an extension. I think the biggest free agent deal is 130 for Johnny Cueto. Like, it's it's just not going to happen. Um, and my word to the wise is they're probably I, – I did it out the other day. There are like 17 teams in Major League Baseball that you can convince yourself – have the means to sign Aaron Judge. Over the course of this offseason, we're probably going to get news that upwards of 20 teams are pursuing Judge or would really like to bring him in or whatever. If you freak out every time uh, you see one of those reports, you're going to have a heart attack by the end of the offseason. So don't worry about it. He's going to sign somewhere. I think it's going to be with the Yankees. Um and, you know, what happens, happens. But I think they're bringing back Judge. Um, I have a few other guys on my offseason wish list. Um, I have a few other moves on my offseason wish list with respect to jettisoning some guys. Um, but the list is pretty short 
after you re-sign Judge. Um, you know, you can rework the infield with a lot of guys that you have there. Um, the outfield market is better than the infield market when you factor in like guys who are going to make less than $30 million a year. Um, there's some pitching out there. Uh, you can easily bring in a lefty bullpen arm, which is something I'd recommend. Uh, you know, even though they have a lot of righties who can get righties and lefties out, I'd like to see one. Um, like it, it's not going to take a lot. Uh, there, there are a couple impact moves they can make without giving out, you know, $400 million contracts with the exception of, you know, judge who's not going to get $400 million, but you know, without giving out huge, huge deals, uh, they can make some, some pretty major upgrades and, uh, really kind of cement themselves as, uh, the class of the AL, or at least as, you know, a, a formidable rival to the Astros. Um, so I'm also at an eight Whipple. I think the appropriate way for us to wrap this up is, um, I was, I was going back the other day and just looking at, you know, we're at almost 1,800 followers on the Twitter account now. Uh, we're at 600 in February. Um, you know, the the following has tripled in size uh, over the course of this season. Um, and I, I really just want to make sure we take a moment to note how much we appreciate that people are enjoying the content that we put out and are following us and interacting with us. I know you got to meet some people when you were at um, the ALDS uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I just think that um, it's really, it's been really cool being able to do this. You know, we had some great guests this year from Eric Jagailo to Jake Cave, now of the Baltimore Orioles, to Hoodie Allen to playoff Tanaka to our dads again. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about the direction that Yankees Files has gone and the audience that we've built up. And um, I think, uh, you know, seeing that growth has certainly motivated us to do good work and, uh, you know, makes it really easy to be excited about coming on the podcast and, uh, you know, just having a good time doing the same on Twitter, interacting with people. Um, and that, you know, you touched on it when we went to the Somerset Patriots game. Like, it's cool that this environment, this ecosystem exists for people who want to do things like what we're doing. And um, it's it, it was it was a really good season for us. And um you know, as disappointed as we all are about the way the season ended for the Yankees, I think, um, you know, we just should take a minute to thank everyone who's been along for the ride with us and to, you know, appreciate what we accomplished this year because it's it's certainly not insignificant. And, uh, you know, season one was what it was. You know, I often called it a bad year to start a Yankees podcast. Uh Season two was a lot more fun and, um, you know, we're wrapping it up here. I'm very interested and excited to see what season three holds. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I echo all of that. It's it's crazy how specifically this year, I feel like it. we really got to, to do some cool things. We got to beat a lot of cool people and just when you know, the more people that follow us on Twitter, it's cool to see those people, but it's also more people we get to interact with, more people we get to hear their for sure. opinions for. So it's it's like 
you know, it's, it's cool for us. You know, it's more than just a number. It's like, it's a little community of people that, you know, I feel like I, I see the names and, and now I kind of associate like, you know, who on Twitter likes us, like, likes a post, like what their opinions are. Like it's, I mean, we yep. have barely met any of you guys, but it's awesome just to get to, to virtually interact with you and, you know, do this shared passion together. And, I think, yeah, we did a lot of cool things this year, um, and I'm super excited to see where it goes from here. Um, year two, definitely better than year one, and it was a lot more fun to get on the pod and not have to talk about, you know, the 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 streakiness. I mean, this team was streaky, but, you know, everybody here has probably, you know, gotten over the 2021 Yankees by now, and I hope the 2020... Except you, apparently. I hope the 2023 Yankees are more like this year's team, and I, I feel like they will be. So um, definitely excited for a normal winter as well and not have to worry about if there will be a season three because that was very stressful. I think we have some cool things that we want to do this winter, some cool ideas, maybe some cool guests to bring on. So definitely stay tuned for that. Even though the season is over, we will still be pumping out content as always. And then lastly, I've just got to thank you for, you know, do, doing all you do. You know, if everyone doesn't know, I, you know, I write, I talk, but Will is the guy who puts it all together behind the scenes is does such a great job with it. Um, I said, when I started, like, I'm definitely happy to be the second banana, um, but I would not be able to do this on my own, nor would I really want to do this with anyone else. I mean, we've been talking about baseball since we were, you know, in, in elementary school, and I look forward to doing so this winter and well into the future. So just wanted to thank you for all that you've done this year and uh, that, you know, looking forward to whatever comes next. I do often look back and chuckle at, um, like the night that I made Yankees files, I sent it to you. And I don't think I explicitly said like, Hey, do you want to do this with me right off the bat? But it was like an implied thing. Um, like, <laughs> hey. I'm glad that you actually admit that. Cause I, when you sent it to me, I was like, he definitely is not asking me, but like, I can't like, I know what is being implied. <laughs> here, so. And that just shows we're always on the same page. And, you know, it's, it's definitely over the course of these years. I think we anticipate each other's arguments and comments pretty well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, I enjoy doing this. Um, with respect to our schedule, it won't be, you know, weekly any, anymore in the off season. Um, we'll take a similar, kind of approach to what we did last off season, you know, if we have any notable guests um, or any uh, kind of concept episodes like we did with the remember some guys episode last year, we'll post it um, before winter meetings. We'll have kind of our off season preview and wish list uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, as Whipple said, you know, there's, there's a lot we want to do. It won't quite be weekly. Um, I'd say look out for some more written content, um, something that's just easier to do uh, in the off season than during the season. I think there are, you know, a number of things I'm interested in, in looking back at or, or analyzing, um, you know, people by this point probably know that I love doing that, like player eval stuff and posting about it and talking about how Andrew Benintendi is unvaccinated and, you know, all of that. But anyway, Whipple, it's, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, we're wrapping up season two now. Uh, so I can't unfortunately say we'll be back here same time, same place next week, but we will be back here uh, in the not too distant future. 
um, to talk about all that's going on in baseball and with the New York Yankees. And uh, until then, although there won't be any games, let's go Yankees. Yankees.